Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Pastor Larry has a moment of prophecy, and we'll begin a brand new series with Dr. Kenneth Hill examining the assault on liberty that is taking place today in America. Watchmen on the Wall is here each day to bring clarity to the chaos and remind everyone who tunes in that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Make sure you receive our brand new monthly catalog, Timely Tools. Timely Tools highlights the latest resources from your friends at Watchmen on the Wall and SWRC. Each month, this beautiful catalog is delivered to you full of the latest books, DVDs, and other timely resources designed to inform you and encourage your faith. Timely Tools is a free way to stay up to date on all the latest DVDs and books by your favorite speakers and teachers. Get your copy of Timely Tools by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Staff evangelist Josh Davis recently sat down with Dr. Kenneth Hill to examine the current state of one of our most basic rights as Americans, freedom of speech. Their conversation will reveal that this freedom is under assault in ways that may surprise you. Here's Josh Davis and Dr. Kenneth Hill. Well, friends, it's my privilege to be joined in the studio by Dr. Kenneth Hill, the ministry president of Southwest Radio Church. And typically it's Dr. Hill that's conducting the interviews. And today it's the other way around. I get the privilege to interview him about an important book that he has written. It talks about the assault on our liberty. And we encourage you to call us at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at SW rc.com and request your copy of Assault on Liberty. We're going to be discussing this with our ministry president, Dr. Kenneth Hill. Dr. Hill, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you, Josh. It's good to be with you, and it's always good to be on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. Amen. Thank you so much. And uh, what is this book, Assault on Liberty? What's the, the basic just the basic argument behind this book. Well, this book is basically a history of the fairness doctrine, and it talks about the fairness doctrine and the First Amendment, our ability to have the liberty to speak our mind and to give the truth to people. The book came out of conferences that we had had several years ago one of the fellows who was in the conference and was a conference speaker as well asked me to write a book about the Fairness Doctrine because he didn't have one that he could refer to. Well, I wrote it, and uh, it sold more copies than any book I've ever written. And I thought, wow, this is something because it, it's not a not a good book or a bad book. It's just a book, you know. It just gives a little history. But nobody apparently had been writing the history. And so it shows what has happened to our freedom, and it shows what is going to happen, or at least what we think is going to happen, in the years yet to come if the Lord does not return quickly. I will admit I'm one of those that was ignorant on the fairness doctrine. I 
had heard that phrase maybe back in somewhere in the deep recesses <laughs> of my high school history classes. Right. But if you would have asked me before I read your book, What's the Fairness Doctrine? I would have given you a blank stare. So let our audience know, uh, what is the Fairness Doctrine? How does it impact free speech? Well, the Fairness Doctrine came about in 1949. Uh, Harry Truman had gotten fed up, didn't like the preaching of gospel preachers. Here he was, a Southern Baptist who proclaimed his Southern Baptistry, but yet didn't like preachers and didn't like preachers that preached the truth. And so he came down on the Federal Communications Commission and told him, said, hey, you got to do something to shut these preachers up. And the way that they found to do that was to have a rule they called a doctrine and fairness doctrine. It wasn't fair. It wasn't a doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's like the Federal Reserve. It's neither federal nor a reserve. Mm-hmm. But it was a good name, but it was not truly fair. What they said was, if you're going to have discussion of a topic of interest on radio or television, you have to have both sides or all sides to be presented. Mm. So if you're going to have someone speak about an issue, whatever that issue is, then you have both sides of the issue. Well, you and I both know, each of us knows, that sometimes there are many sides to an issue. Mm -hmm. And what had happened from 1949 until the Fairness Doctrine was done away with under the Reagan administration, the FCC basically used it as a big stick Mm. uh, to tell preachers not to preach and to tell people who were trying to tell the truth on radio and television not to do it. Mm. And so the liberals got by with everything, and it was an affront to conservatism, And it was an affront to truth. Mm. And how does the FCC limit or oversee communications even to this present day? Well, the FCC oversees the broadcast station's licenses. So if you have CBS Network or ABC Network or NBC Network or Fox Network, not Fox on cable, but Fox Network, TV Network, Mm. you have a number of stations that have signed up to broadcast the programming from those networks, and the stations have the license. The network doesn't have the license, but the stations have the license, and the FCC says, hmm, I don't like that, and they then take the license or create a problem for the licensee. And that's how they control things. That's how they they step on your toes, as it were. And they say, hey, you can't say this. You can't do this. You can't, can't be here. You can't be involved with this thing or this other thing. Now, we've noticed in the last several years that with the various social media on the Internet, they've done the same thing 
and not through the FCC, but through the Justice Department, mm-hmm. the Department of Justice, the FBI, or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've done the same kind of thing that the FCC did with the Fairness Doctrine without the Fairness Doctrine being in existence anymore. Mm. So they're still using the Fairness Doctrine, even though it's it was repealed in That's the right. 80s. They use the idea, and they try to get you to actually believe that it's good for you, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not good for anybody. And let's talk about historically when the Fairness Doctrine was around, who were some of the players that were being attacked and were coming against with this Fairness Doctrine? How were their voices silenced or threatened to be silenced? Who were some of these key players? Well, one of the key players was a fellow named J. Harold Smith. I had the occasion to to meet with him several times and to talk with him And I was blessed by those conversations and to hear him preach. And, of course, you can still hear his preaching on the Internet and through various other means. But J. Harold Smith was a smart man, and he had licenses for television before television really began. But he was preaching all around the nation about communism and about how bad communism was, and how that we needed to take a stand as Christians against communism and against the dirt of these abominable people and their practices. And he would preach on radio, and he had a station down in Tijuana, Mexico, and one in Del Rio, Texas. And his problem was that Harry Truman— decided he wanted J. Harold Smith off the air. And he wanted J. Harold Smith not to preach because he preached against Harry Truman is the way he thought, I guess. Mm -hmm. But what happened was uh, the FCC pulled all of the licenses that J. Harold Smith had for television stations. And they were all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was fantastic what he had. Worth probably tens of millions of dollars even then, and the FCC removed every one of them, saying that he had moved against the law and had invested money in a station in Mexico, a radio station in Mexico, which was not true. Mm. What J. Harold Smith did, and I talked to him personally about it, he bought the time to preach for a period of about 10 years and Mm. paid in advance. Okay and got a discount for doing that. So the people who were building this half a million watt station or whatever it was could build the station and have the equipment, and they used his money to buy it. So the FCC came in and said, since you've invested in foreign radio, foreign broadcasting, we're going to take away your licenses in the United States. They didn't use the Fairness Doctrine At that point, they just came in and stole what was his. He did his best to fight back, but I'll tell you, he uh, he had a hard time. He had he had rallies in Knoxville, for example. They were (laughs) downtown on Gay Street and all around where the WNOX studios were and other stations were. And he not only had rallies in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he was headquartered at the time but around the country. He got on radio and preached the truth from 
Mexico. Mm. And in the United States, they took him off the radio. Mm. But he still preached in foreign land, and it came into the United States. In fact, the stations that, that he happened to be on in Texas covered about 30 states, and so he covered most of the U.S. as it was with that. He held revival meetings all across the country, and he preached the truth. He was avowedly anti-communist, mm. and every time he preached, the Democrats would come against him. Mm. And it wasn't Republican or Democrat, neither am I trying to pretend that it was, mm -hmm. but it was the Democrat Party, just as it would be today, that came against J. Harold Smith when he was trying to preach the truth. Isn't that something? It is, yes. We're visiting with Dr. Kenneth Hill, and we're discussing his book, Assault on Liberty, and it is available from our ministry by calling 1-800-652-1144. Also visit our website, swrc.com. Order your copy of Assault on Liberty today. This is fascinating to me to think about the history of the attack on free speech because I think of it more in terms of a modern invention in the last 20 years or so, but what you're telling us is it goes back much further than that, even in previous generations. What are some of the other historical people and, and figures that you see, and how has this unfolded into our present day? The pastor who was most vilified by the FCC was the uh, pastor of the 20th century Reformation hour, and he was always brought up and ridiculed even though he was a respected Presbyterian clergyman, Dr. Carl McIntyre was vilified. The FCC came against him on numerous occasions. One time, Dr. Carl McIntyre was denied licenses that he had. The FCC pulled the licenses of, of Dr. McIntyre and of his friends, the Red Lion Broadcasting Company, for example, up in Red Lion, Pennsylvania, WGCB, the Word of God, Christ and Bible, Red Lion Broadcasting Company, they lost their license because they refused to give free airtime to ungodly people that were trying to put forth liberal views and liberal ideas when they had sold airtime to preachers such as J. Harold Smith and others. And the FCC came in and said, well, you got to give them free time. That's fairness doctrine. And they said, no, we won't do that. We'll sell them time. It'll cost them $7 and a half to be on the air for half an hour. That was nothing in those days. And yet the FCC said, no, you can't do that, and pulled their license. Mm. What we have seen, though, is that McIntyre decided that he was going to make a show of this thing. And so he actually had a radio station on board a ship. You had three miles was the limit 
for international waters. Mm. And so he went 12 miles out, anchored the boat, and then was on the air 24-7 from that ship Mm. preaching the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the FCC came in and took the ship and commandeered it and closed it down and all that. We don't think about pirate radio, which they had pirate radio in Europe for years where Mm. various people that wanted to air things, usually not the kind of stuff we would want to air, but they would be out 12 miles or 10 miles or 15 miles out in the ocean, and they would not be a part of any one nation, Mm. and they would broadcast, and until finally some nation decided to shut them down, they would broadcast. Sometimes it lasted for years. But in the United States, this is the only history we have of a pirate radio station was from Carl McIntyre and the 20th Century Reformation Hour. When I was a youngster, I used to listen to Carl McIntyre in the locality where I lived, and his broadcast was heard around the country, and he preached against communism. Hmm. He preached against socialism. He preached against Russia and communist China and North Vietnam and the various locations of the world that were anti-Christian. And he preached the truth. And yet the FCC did their best to shut him down. Mm. And that's fascinating because pirating the gospel in America, especially in this time period, we tend to think of that as being some of the golden years in American Christianity, and yet we see that even way back then it was very much under threat. Well, I've been privileged to be joined today with Dr. Kenneth Hill, our ministry president, but he is discussing his book, Assault on Liberty. You can order your copy by calling 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting our website, swrc.com. And on our next program, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Hill as we look at how this really impacts the First Amendment and our rights as American citizens and gospel Christians. We have much more from Dr. Kenneth Hill on the so-called Fairness Doctrine and the Assault on Free Speech coming up on tomorrow's Watchmen on the Wall program. Today's resource spotlight is on the book Assault on Liberty by Dr. Kenneth Hill. In his book, Assault on Liberty, Rebirth of the Fairness Doctrine, you'll not find a more authoritative synopsis of the Fairness Doctrine from a historical perspective and the current political realities in our government. Topics covered include how the Fairness Doctrine affects your free speech, how liberals in Congress want to revive the doctrine and its abuses to limit broadcasters from keeping you fully informed. It also includes how 40% of Americans would have their news and information censored and what you can do to prevent these abuses. Order Assault on Liberty today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Now, here's Pastor Larry Spargimino with today's Moment of Prophecy. There are two cities that are referenced numerous times in the Bible. One, of course, is the city of Jerusalem. The other is the city of Babylon. 
The book of Revelation contains 404 verses. 44 of the verses, or about 10%, refer to an entity known as Babylon. Two chapters, Revelation 17 and 18, focus on a Babylon that exists on earth following the rapture. Who or what is the Babylon of prophecy? What roles does it have in the end-time scenario, and what does it tell us about the future? The city and territory known as Babylon is located in present-day Iraq. It is important biblically in four ways. First of all, it is important geographically as a definite city. There is a location. Secondly, it's important nationally because the nation of Babylon is mentioned in several biblical contexts. Perhaps its most famous king is Nebuchadnezzar, frequently mentioned in the book of Daniel. Thirdly, Babylon is important spiritually because it represents the seat and source of rebellion against God, particularly in the form of false religions. Fourthly, Babylon is mentioned in end times passages as a place of religious darkness and commercialism and greed. The religion of ancient Babylon was polytheism, a religion of many deities. In the ancient Babylonian flood accounts, the Gilgamesh epic, which in many ways parallels the biblical flood account, there are many gods, some quite childish and lacking moral character. What do we know about that entity called Babylon? Well, there is a useful rule to follow in serious Bible study. It is the rule of first occurrence. If we want to know the identity of Babylon, we have to look to the first occurrence or first mention of the word in the Bible. According to Genesis 10, verse 8 through 10, Nimrod, the youngest and most notorious son of Cush, was a mighty hunter, a phrase that may indicate great craftiness and wickedness. His name Nimrod literally means, let us rebel. It is possible that he had great strength and was successful in slaying many of the very large and dangerous animals that lived on the earth after the flood of Noah. Nimrod built a great kingdom, with one of his major cities being called Babel, or Babel, which means confusion, and it's in the land of Shinar, later known as the place where the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar erected a huge 90-foot statue honoring himself. According to Daniel chapter 3, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to comply with the king's request to bow down and honor the king's statue. God created man to multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over the earth. However, in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 11, we find that the people who came to the land of Shinar refused to obey God. Instead of scattering, they erected a ziggurat, a pyramid-type structure with steps. The ancients believed that such a structure would be a channel of communication whereby the gods could come down to earth and commune with man. Babel, or Babel, came to be known as the gateway of the gods. So not only did the people of Shinar refuse to populate the earth as instructed by God, they wanted to receive the blessings and wisdom from the gods. They said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, according to Genesis 11, verse 4. In Scripture, kings, emperors, and national leaders are representative of their people and their nation and their character. 
The Caesars were types of the Antichrist. Many have concluded that the Antichrist is in some way an offshoot of a revived Roman Empire. For this reason, it is significant that one of the most detailed explanations of the origin and reign of Satan is in a passage that initially starts out with a reference to the king of Babylon. In Isaiah 14.4, we read that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. But a few verses later, in almost the same breath, we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Evil is often territorial, and some speak of territorial spirits. Satan's connection with Babylon, a real location in the ancient world and even today, is typical. In the account of the Gadarene demoniac, Legion besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. They did not want to be expelled from their territory. They were territorial spirits. In Daniel chapter 10, which provides an account of intense spiritual warfare and struggle, the heavenly messenger relates that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. That's in verse 13. In verse 20, the messenger reports, And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Evidently, two territorial spirits, one associated with Persia, the other associated with Greece. The consistent connection between Babylon and rebellion against God puts an indelible stamp upon Babylon. There's good reason to believe that false religions, even the false religions that we see in today's world, find their origin in Babylon and can be categorized as Babylonianism. The trans movement, for example, the redefining of marriage to include something that was never meant to be, the celebration of sexual deviancy and the wanton destruction of human life in the womb, and calling it health care, are all marks of Babylonianism. Several authors, such as Zeb Parat and Jonathan Kahn, have suggested that the profound spiritual issues that we are facing at the present time are rooted in the return of the gods of antiquity. In his book, The Return of the Gods, Jonathan Kahn suggests that the collective mythologies associated with the ancient gods are the clues that reveal what is actually happening in the present hour. And I agree with Jonathan Kahn. Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18 provide the final biblical revelation focusing on Babylon. I understand the word Babylon to refer to a definite location in Iraq and also a system of devotion to demonic forces. In other words, Babylon is much more than just a code word for evil. I like the way Dr. Mark Hitchcock puts it, quote, After the rapture of the church and after the tribulation period begins, Babylon will rise again, both a literal city and the pagan religious system that is rooted in it. Humans will again organize in rebellion against the one true God, just as they did at the Tower of Babel. The tower and the city represent the two aspects of Babylon that continues today. Religious rebellion and apostasy, Revelation 17, balanced against political and commercial power in Revelation 18. Close quotes. 
Assault on Liberty by Dr. Kenneth Hill is a book that will inform and equip you to prevent free speech abuses and will show you how to combat the current assault on your liberty that's taking place. Order Assault on Liberty today when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Assault on Liberty by visiting our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, more details and insight from Dr. Hill on the current state of free speech and what you can do to preserve this foundational right. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.